Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes from KSNT in Topeka, it's our buddy Sully Ingles who joins us on the pod for the very first time. He's been on the radio with us numerous times already, but uh, looking forward to uh, having him join us to talk about all sorts of stuff in uh, our chat. He's an L.A. guy transplanted to Topeka, so that alone should interest you. Uh, how does one end up in uh, in Kansas from uh, Southern California? You'll find that out, among other things, with the Sully coming up in uh, just a little while from right now. Joining me, as always, is Thomas Bridges, who is uh, with us today. TV, what's happening? Oh, you know, just uh, living it up on my last few days of being off work before I go back and start a new job on Monday. So, uh, you know, just living up, living the life of uh being home during the week it's been uh, it's been a nice little break nice nice good to hear tom uh no no question about that and uh this past week the nba draft lottery took place let's start there zion williamson appears to be headed to the new orleans pelicans after they ended up with the uh number one pick in the draft lottery and in zion's situation now here, here's the what he, he's dealing with it's not 100% guaranteed that he's going to end up in New Orleans because he still has some options on his hands. He could demand a trade. He could pull out of the draft. He hasn't hired an agent or signed a shoe contract yet and go back to college or sit a year out or whatever. I think those scenarios are very unlikely, but Zion, the, the cards are still in his favor in this situation. I mean, uh, New Orleans appears to be in good shape, Tom, but nothing is a guarantee just yet. I think we are getting ahead of ourselves to mark this sign, sealed, and delivered that he's going to be a New Orleans Pelican. I think the chances are very high, but this is the NBA. We've seen some crazy stuff happen before. Oh, yeah, and I, for me, I think, personally, I think he's going to be a Pelican. Uh, I think that would be... Dumb. I mean, I hate when players, you know, do this where, you know, if you're that good in the in college and you know you're going to be the number one pick overall, why, you know, just take it on the chin and go play uh, for the Pelicans. I, I don't understand, you know, why people who are not even in the NBA yet get, you know, bargaining rights or think they can just demand a trade as the number one overall pick. I mean, in a, in a sense, this is what you sign up for. Like, you know, if you're that good of a college player, you know you're going to go to a team who's not maybe overall that good. Um, and so just the fact that he could go back to Duke and play another year uh, and wait around for, you know, probably the Phoenix Suns to pick him up, it's not gonna, that's probably a worse situation maybe uh, than the one in New Orleans. So I personally don't agree with just allowing players – or future players just to kind of do whatever they want as far as, you know, I'm not going to play for this team because they suck, or I'm not going to play for this team because I wanted to go to New York. Uh, I don't think that's cool to do. I know that, you know, not a whole lot of people want to go to New Orleans uh, with all the stuff that's going on down there with, uh, you know, Anthony Davis and, and maybe some uh, unfamiliarity in that location. But, uh, Jones, t how do you feel on that? I, I personally hate it. You, you know, I, I like, in in one sense, this is where I like the power of the players 
is the NCAA has, you know, taken so much from these players, sucked so much out of them. I do like that they have the option to go back to school in that sense for anybody, especially if you can go get evaluated and go see where you're at. But this is the number one pick. I mean, the situations, you, you mentioned, you know, Phoenix possibly next year could pick him up. What if, you know, a, a number of teams, you know, the the that could end up with him next year, it's – the sooner you go to the NBA, the sooner you start that rookie contract and you can move on elsewhere or you might end up liking it there, the sooner that you'd go ahead and get things started. So I like the idea of, of this, of the option of having to go back to school, but I don't like the idea of him forcing his way to go where he wants to go. I'll say this, though. Zion has not given any indication that he is going to force his hand and say demand a trade or go back to school that it sounds like that he is going to join the New Orleans Pelicans. So I think that also it's it's not good for branding and market appeal. If you have this persona already as a rookie that, you know, hey, I'm going to demand, I'm going to get what I want and put myself out there, then th- that's not a good look. I, I don't think that Zion wants that image out there for him that uh, he's already you know gone about that way. How many people – Tom could not stand Eli Manning for the longest time. Maybe still don't like him with what he did with the uh, San Diego Chargers and demanding that trade and go to the New York Giants. And how many people were rooting for Philip Rivers to be better than he was simply just based on all that went down? It's it's not yeah. a good look, not a good situation. So I think that he's ultimately going to end up in New Orleans when it's all said and done. He's going to be the face of that franchise and. What I am disappointed in, though, Tom, is that although I do like to see the small markets get the chance at having a big star, and they'll get that chance in Zion Williamson, the Pelicans have been so dysfunctional as a franchise. They've had these chances before. They blow it with Chris Paul. They are about to blow it with Anthony Davis. And, you know, what what was it, one playoff, two playoff appearances in Anthony Davis's time there? I don't trust this organization with a star player like Zion Williamson. That's what I hate in all this is in the Pelican situation. Yes, I'd like to see a small market team get the chance to have a star, but this organization's been so dysfunctional. I don't trust them with operating uh, and having the chance to have a star like uh, Anthony Davis come through that organization and try to turn that, that program around because it's been tried – before and they've messed this up a couple times already no i i completely agree with that and and they've had their chances and you know kind of blew them you mentioned chris paul and anthony davis um you also mentioned that you know the chance for zion williamson to go back to school to go back to duke uh yeah that is good uh and and that's one thing out of it that i do like as far as power to the players uh, but as long as it was for the right reasons, and you, you also said that it, this is the number one overall pick we're talking about, we kind of knew what was going to happen. And, and, you know, props to Zion Williamson that he's not forcing his hand, that he understands that, hey, you know, I can't necessarily force my hand or maybe not even that I want to force my hand. It's more so of, hey, I don't want this image to be like an Eli Manning. Uh, I think that's a very... Uh, you know, maybe a mature decision, mature response uh, from him such at a young age. Uh, and, and at the same time, you know, start that rookie contract. Go and make the money 
And then if you don't like it at the end of the at the end of the contract, then go somewhere else. Uh, but as far as the Pelicans being just an inadequate, inadequate franchise or uh, kind of being very disorganized, uh, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. So maybe, you know, third time's a charm for them. Maybe so. And uh, David Griffin, the uh, former Cavs GM, is now their GM running up things. And, you know, he did a good job, obviously, putting uh, a solid bunch around LeBron James there in Cleveland. So maybe he's the guy to get things going there in New Orleans. But in the Pelicans situation, Tom, let's say that, you know, Anthony Davis does demand a trade. Let's say you get Zion for all intents and purposes, that it does work out that they do end up with him. And, you know, Anthony Davis whether he demands a trade still, if he's still holding on to that, or whether he decides to stay either one, New Orleans is in a great situation to rebuild this franchise. Do I trust them? No, but they're still in good shape in the sense of that with Anthony Davis, you're either going to trade him and get some really good value for one of the best players in the NBA, or you sign a contract extension to uh, – a terrific player in Anthony Davis and pair him up with Zion Williamson, a good point guard in, uh, in Drew Holiday is already there. Maybe you re-sign Julius Randle as well. you got some pieces that you can work with here. Whether AD stays or not, New Orleans is going to be in good shape going into next season and try to rebuild this franchise. I think so, yeah. And if Anthony Davis stays, you know, that uh, is already would be a pretty dangerous team. Um, maybe not you know, a higher seed or maybe not a lower seed in the playoff, but you know, I, I would have, I would imagine having Anthony Davis back for a full year, Zion Williamson and holiday, uh, that, that to me is, a, you know, a six, seven, eight seed in the playoffs. Granted that the Pelicans actually have some sort of, you know, consistency, uh, and not, you know, stupidity on their part. And that's been, you know, kind of the case, however many years in a row, um, but you know, if they do trade Anthony Davis, they're going to get a haul, uh, or they're going to get something out of him, uh, to kind of start this team and start building around Zion Williamson. So, uh, they're in a kind of, in a, in a way, uh, saying that Zion Williamson will go to the Pelicans, uh, kind of in a win-win, uh, you know, they can't lose this, you know, they already have the number one pick, you, you know, it'd be hard pressed to to somehow lose out on this situation, but, you know, the Pelicans have surprised us and let us down before. Yeah, they have. They, they've done this uh, time and time again, and so uh, hopefully they uh, they get it right this time. I, I want to see this franchise succeed. I like Zion, too, and he has not given me a reason to hate him, and if he goes in with class and, you know, takes this situation on, Head on, I'll be given more reason to to cheer on Zion and the Pelicans and see him succeed. And you know, would it have been fun to see him maybe you know with the New York Knicks or one of these other elite franchises? Absolutely, it would have been. But uh, this is a unique opportunity to turn around a franchise that has had limited success there in New Orleans and uh, be the face of that franchise. And Tom, I saw a great picture, a great meme on a Twitter the other day and said that Zion Williamson, after about two years with the Pelicans, he's going to look like just like uh, Booger McFarlane. Yeah, I saw that, too. I had a good, good laugh. Uh, it's <laughs> my, it's unreal knows. how much uh, those guys already look like. How well he might do in his first year. 
They do. They do look similar. I wonder if he's he's seen the same meme. I'm sure he has. Uh, Jones is, I mean, just this is early, early, early. Uh, but would he just be your rookie of the year? Do you, I mean, are you expecting him just to, is that his award to, to lose? Oh, I, I would expect him to be rookie of the year, maybe even contend to be an all-star year one. I think he's that good of what he uh, brings to the table to New Orleans. And then if Anthony Davis is out of the picture, Tom, everything is going to go to him first. He's going to be their number one option offensively, so he'll get the majority of looks and, and, and options there. I think that only helps his uh, his chances of being Rookie of the Year, being an all-star, either one. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right there, too. And and Morant, I think, you know, Memphis has already said that he was gonna, they were going to take him. I, I'm expecting big things out of him, and it, it kind of rubs me the wrong way as a Spurs fan because both the Memphis Grizzlies and the Pelicans are in the Spurs division. So uh, Popovich will be uh, – you know, have the lowdown, I'm sure, on both of those players. So, I mean, the first three picks are going to be, you're not going to, I don't think you're going to lose out uh, if you're the Pelicans, uh, the Grizzlies, uh, or the Knicks. So, uh, I, I think everybody, you know, those top three picks, you're in good hands. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, Thomas Bridges, Tyler Jones here with you on the Jones Report today. Soli Ingles set to join us in a few minutes from right now. Tom, the uh, Big 12 players in this uh, NBA draft, six players were invited to the Combine, which is uh, happening this week, and that includes from Kansas, Devon Dotson, Quentin Grimes, and Dedrick Lawson. From Iowa State includes uh, Talon Horton Tucker, from Texas, Jackson Hayes, and uh, Texas Tech's Jarrett Culver. So of the guys that should come back to school, the big debate, if you should stay in school, if you should stay in the draft. And, you know, that's a, a big question on, on everyone's minds. Of course, the uh, Lawrence Journal World put out a report that uh, that Devon Dotson and Quentin Grimes were still up in the air about whether they should come back to school at Kansas or if they should stay in the NBA draft. Dedrick Lawson, you know, since day one, has been pretty set on staying in the NBA draft. Jackson Hayes and Jared Culver are both going to be first-round picks, so you know they'll stay in the draft, not to mention you know, Culver taking them to the Final Four. He's accomplished pretty much all he can accomplish there. And uh, you know, Talon Horton-Tucker, I, I think there's a good chance he comes back to school. But uh, looking at those those KU guys, let's start with them first. Lawson, he's gone. You know, His, his brother already left and everything. I mean, that's, that's a done deal. But – Dotson and Grimes, if I had to guess, Tom, I would say that Dotson probably comes back to school and Grimes stays in the draft. But looking at this Kansas team next year, if they add those two back, if they come back to school instead of going to the draft, if they get them both back, they'll be a preseason top three team. If they get one and not the other, then you're looking at a top five team coming back next year and being the favorites in the Big 12 once again and have a good shot to make the Final Four. Yeah, I think so, too. Um I think, you know, either way, uh, you know, if they get the full, you know, full group back together or if they kind of lose that on everybody, I, I still think KU is going to be good. But, uh, man, wouldn't that be nice for them to have those players back and to, you know, already be a top three or even a top five team uh, coming into preseason in, in the fall? Uh, you know, Bill Self, I think, probably has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder to get that back. And, and I know he would probably like nothing else to, to have those players back. Uh, and, and with Culver going to the NBA, uh, you know, 
know, Tech is going to be strong and, and Iowa State's going to be strong. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I still think KU would still have to be the favorite. Yeah, I think so. And, and those guys, they, they should come back. In, in Dotson and Grimes' case, you're talking about best-case scenario being second-round draft picks and another year in school, Tom. We've seen, you know, Jared Culver's a prime example of this. If Jared Culver comes out in last year's draft, he's either second round or not drafted. Now he's going to be a top-ten pick. Dotson or Grimes, you come back just one more season, take that team on a deep NCAA tournament run, and, I mean, you can get paid significantly more being a top-ten pick. You get to be the star on campus, get to do something historic, and, you know, chance to win a Big 12 title and everything. All the benefits are there. I know that, you know, for some of these guys, you know, you, you never know their situations, where they come from, if they need the money or whatever, or if they need to get out. But based on, you know, just from our perspective, from the outside view anyway, it would appear to me the best interest for Dotson and Grimes both is definitely to stay in school. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the, you know, as long as they don't need the money, and I get that. Uh, because even, you know, just me and you, if we had the chance to make, you know, millions of dollars starting out uh, or go back to Lawrence, Kansas or Stillwater, Oklahoma or any, you know, number of smaller towns, uh, college towns, I think we would probably choose the million dollar route. Uh, but like you said, there's a chance to make even more money. Uh, and I think as younger people, I think we always, you know, choose the instant gratification. But if you take that ec- extra year, go back to college, you almost have a prove yourself year or more of a like bet on yourself uh, to be projected higher than you initially were. Uh, so I think for those players, I, it would be smart. I mean, it's not like you're going to be on a losing team. It's not like you're at a you know super small college. Uh, and where you, you know, don't have the chance to make a final four. Uh, I mean, for those guys, you know, as injuries be damned, um, they have a shot, you know, they're still going to, as long as nothing bad happens, they're still going to be able to make the NBA. Uh, but I mean, hell go out and have one more fun year in college and, and prove yourself, uh, even more than you already have. No question. No question. When I look at these other big 12 players in the combine, Tom, Jackson Hayes and Jared Culver, I think, by far have the most potential. And Jared Culver, Tom, I think Culver is the fourth best player in this draft. Zion's number one. Uh, you know, J- you know, Morant from uh, Murray State's got to be number two. And then uh, the number three player is uh, got to be R.J. Barrett from Duke. But right behind them, I think Jared Culver's the fourth best player. And I think that his potential is is up there. I mean, this is a guy that would not shock me one bit if he becomes an all-star guard and you know, be, becomes you know a, a true threat in this league. And Jackson Hayes, I think, is going to be a very solid center, uh, maybe like a, a Stephen Adams type of some sorts, which would you know every team would love to have and take. Maybe not for that price tag per se, but you would love to have it if you can get that out of a, you know a Jackson Hayes type. I think those two are definitely the standouts and Culver's potential. I know that he's rated about top 10 right now, but if I, I, I'm telling you, if he slips past that top five, I think somebody's getting a steal and a guard in, in Jared Culver. See, yeah, and I, I completely agree. I, I think he could, I'm, I'm going to guess he'd probably go five to the Cavs. Um, if he slips past five, uh, I would be shocked. Uh, just this year, what he did with, with Texas Tech, 
Uh, he's he's earned that in my in my eyes. Um, I like Kobe White from UNC. Yeah, UNC. Um, but I think Jared Culver would pair really well um, right next to you know in Cleveland, like with the likes of like Colin Sexton. Um, so I wouldn't that be I a fun? Wouldn't that be a fun young backcourt? Those two. Oh man, it's I I think it's gonna happen uh, unless the Lakers take him. Yeah. That so would be. I, I mean, I right. I would be shocked if the Cavs pass on Culver. Yeah, Culver. I I think I, I'm telling you, Tom. I mean, th- this is this going to you know surprise some people, but I I see a guy that defends so well and plays so good on the offensive end too that in the mental toughness in this guy, the leadership that this guy has. I mean, there's everything is right there. Uh, I mean, I'm so impressed with Culver. If there's one thing, maybe that shot could get a little bit better. You know, he was kind of up and down in the tournament, but he still found a way, even when he struggled in that Final Four game, the national championship where he may have gotten off slow starts, that he worked his way through it and turned it into good shooting performances. That's what I like to see, especially for the NBA, is a guy that has the mental toughness to – you know, he, he may struggle here and there, but it doesn't get to him that he can still find ways to get past those situations. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of NBA teams will look at that too. I, I think I think they'll see that, hey, you know, if he is struggling and doesn't let him get him down, I think that's super important, especially for like a rookie in the league to work through mental barriers, and, and Culver has proved that. Um, so, I, you know, any team I think in the NBA would be lucky to – uh, draft Culver as long as you don't have the opportunity to get Williamson or Morant or RJ Barrett. So, uh, you know, for me, he is very well the fourth best player in this draft. And, you know, he might not go to four to the Lakers, and I'd be shocked if he doesn't go to the Cavs. But uh, if he slopes past the top 10, then there's probably something that we don't know about. Right, right. We'll, we'll see where, where that happens. But I, I do like Culver, what he can do. And, and uh, not the best year for Big 12 talent in the draft. But there's a lot of good talent coming back to school this next year. I think you're looking at a, a better class next year of what the uh, Big 12 could produce in the uh, NBA draft. Tom, let's talk NBA playoffs now. How disappointing was that for Portland to give up that 17-point lead to Golden State? I, I always, I had Golden State winning this series anyway, but you blow a 17-point lead in a game that you should have won on the road. You're down 2-0 now. This series is over. Oh, of course. I mean, I mean, but you know, when I I was watching last night, I was I was uh, at the bar that I do karaoke at, and I was kind of slow at start, so we were all kind of watching the game. Uh, were you shocked? I was not shocked. I was more mad. I was like, I know this is going to happen. This is stupid, uh, especially with KD sitting on the bench. It's just dumb. I mean, I know Portland's. You know, it was very Portland esque, and it was very Golden State esque. It was very good. I mean, that is dictionary, Webster's dictionary definition of Golden State-esque. And it, I knew it was going to happen. Uh, as soon as they were down by like five with like three minutes to go, I said, yeah, Golden State's going to win this. And, and that uh, Kevin Looney lob um, to put him up one with 52 seconds left, I thought, well, here it is. I thought, well, here's Golden State like we just thought they would be. And it's just I don't know. It, it bothers me a little bit just because it's, you know, I was thinking, oh, Portland's got a chance to to steal home court. 
Uh, you know, I still would have thought Golden State would have won anyway. But, I mean, let's make for a more exciting series uh, than just Warriors winning this in five. Right. Five if we're lucky, <laughs> really. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I felt like, you know, those, those type of deals, Tom, you know, and, and like I said, I, I thought Golden State was going to win this series anyway. But those are what kills a series is when you lose that one early, all your confidence goes out the window. It, it reminds me of when, when Oklahoma City lost in the NBA Finals to Miami when they didn't call that foul on LeBron when KD went up for that shot and Miami ended up winning that game. That series was over at that very moment because it took the all the air and all the oxygen out of Oklahoma City and all the confidence to that team, and Miami went on to roll and win that series. That's what I felt like what happens in this situation is you blow a lead like that, it's just over. I mean, you, you have given everything up on the line because all this confidence you had built up that, hey, you can get this done, you got this big lead, and then you still find a way to lose, it, it goes out the window. You, you have lost everything in that one moment. Yeah, it definitely takes the willpower out of the situation. And, and we see we see it a lot happen when, when teams come back uh, from big leads, you know, that are still projected to win. You know, teams that might have lesser confidence going into one and, and you get that false hope built up. And, and then it just shatters you. I mean, uh, for Portland to even take this to six would be celebratory. Or, you know, you'd have to give them a round of applause. Uh, if they don't lose this in four or five. For Portland uh, to come because... back in that, this series, Tom, they're going to have to do the same thing that Golden State just did to them. Not only you know win games in this series, obviously, but win when they're not supposed to. Exactly, and and they necessarily you know they weren't necessarily supposed to last night. You know, you never want to go down two zero, but it is Golden State. Uh, but at the same time, you can say that the Blazers don't have Nurkic. You can also say Golden State doesn't have KD. Uh, and, More cousins. And we're finding out that's a whole nother conversation to have. We're finding out that Kevin Durant doesn't even matter. How how stupid is that? And, it doesn't even matter. And they're they're saying that Kevin Durant is not close yet. That he's still got a while to go before he's healthy. If they win this championship without him, Tom, you know, I, I already think Kevin Durant's gone, and, and most people do to this point. The reports that have come out. If they win it without him then he's definitely gone, right? Because they've proven that, you know, what, what do they need him? What do they need Boogie? What do they need any of those guys for? Yeah, exactly. I mean, at this point, just just keep just keep Draymond and Clay and Steph Curry together. And, you know, you, you got a still recipe for uh, a, a championship run. I mean, they've proved it time and time again. It's just, it's getting annoying, honestly, unless you're a Golden State fan. Uh, it's just like, come on! There's got something has ha- has to give. Right, right. In, in the other uh, series, you know, I don't think you know. Even if Denver would have made it, I don't think Denver would have even given Golden State even a better series than what Portland can. Uh, it's just the talent, you know, just the the talent of that Golden State team uh, is is like I've never seen. Right. I still think Portland was a better matchup for Golden State than Denver was. That. This was a, a situation that was, was going to create a more interesting series. It just happens that Golden State is, is you know a better team. That's just what it is. And, and with this this series, Tom, that Golden State, what we're seeing, the basketball they're playing without Kevin Durant is the 72-win Warriors. It Are they as good, this team, 
as they are with Kevin Durant? No, but not far off, per se. They play a different style of ball. It's more team basketball. There's more flow. There's more ball movement, not so much isolation basketball. It's just different, and it makes it work. It's better basketball, but it's not quite as good, per se, because you're missing one of the best players in the world uh, in that offense. So you substitute one, and you get another, essentially, is how this goes when uh, when you, you get this offense uh, going like it is, and it still works, and it's still effective. Oh, of course. I saw something earlier today that said – that Steph Curry, when Steph Curry plays without Kevin Durant, the Warriors are 32 and four, or something crazy like that, and and that is on pace with the 73 win Warriors. Uh, I mean, they don't need Kevin Durant. The, the only reason they needed Kevin Durant is so they didn't have to play against him. Uh, I mean, we're looking at uh, all the way back to when oh his name David, whatever his name. David. How do I forget it? It's Friday. David Lee? Um, no, the, the, the past commissioner before Adam Silver. Oh, David Stern. Uh, David Stern. Sorry, I almost said David Stein. David Stern blocked Chris Paul from going to L.A. I mean, can we not get something like that? I mean, it, it comes down. I mean, I don't want it to come down to that where the commissioner's blocking, you know, what could happen or what can't happen. Uh, but it gets to the point where it's like, okay, come on, for the sake of the league, for the sake of competition, like we have to have something different. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is how people felt about the Lakers in the early 2000s. Um, but I would go as far to say, and I, I think I would be 100% correct, that uh, this Warriors little run or this Warriors at the past five years has been has way surpassed what the Lakers did uh, in the early 2000s. The only thing they you know don't have is the three-peat. Right, right. There, there was one year that, LeBron, of all people, won the championship between uh, the championships that uh, that Golden State has put together. But uh, they're definitely the favorites uh, going forward to uh, try to get it done and win the championship <coughs> once again. In that other series, the Bucks and Raptors series, uh, I know that we got another game tonight between these two, game two. But Milwaukee winning that first game, Tom, did not hurt my confidence in Toronto. Toronto was coming off, you know, a miracle win, you know, Kawhi hitting that shot, you know, bouncing on the rim four different times. I know that probably made you sick to your stomach seeing him have that moment. Uh, I know that must have been tough for you, Tom, but that did not hurt my confidence in Toronto. I mean, they're coming off such emotional high. It was a quick turnaround. I still think that they got a good shot in this series. Still one in my in Milwaukee and then go defend your home court, and Toronto's going to be just fine. I think this is much more of a series. It's a much closer and more interesting series than people are given given credit for. A lot of people are already riding off Toronto. I say not so fast. They, they still have a chance. I think this one could very well go seven games and could go either the way. Oh, 100%. I mean, I didn't expect uh, Toronto to win game one in Milwaukee anyway. Um, right. Now, if they go down 2-0, well, I'll be, I'll, might be a little nervous. Um, but I mean, at this rate, I I think you were almost asking, anybody was asking too much from Toronto to come piece together a game one performance to be honest after, you know, getting a rest, uh, after they decimated the Celtics. So, uh, I mean, I think it was kind of a gimme game more. So it says, okay, Toronto come out and act like you, you know, want to win this game. But if you lose no biggie, we'll get them in game two. Uh, I I think that's kind of just comes down to that. 
Right, right. I, I think so. I think so as far as that goes. This series, Tom, I, I you know, I think it goes either way, but I like Toronto for some reason with Kawhi and Kyle Lowry and those guys. I know they're even down 1-0, but I know that we're I'm in the minority in this, but I still like Toronto to find a way and give us this America versus Canada NBA finals where we get to side with our friends to the border to uh, take down uh, Golden State. That, that's what I'm thinking it's going to happen. I, I think that's the scenario here. I like Milwaukee. I, I think that, you know, Giannis is a great player. He's had a great season. This is a very good team. But something tells me that Toronto is is b- a better team. And, and I'm probably in the minority. I know I'm in the minority in saying that. Yeah, you know, I somewhat agree. I, I think as far as better goes, uh, I mean, I think the talent level on both teams is pretty close. I mean, I mean, when you have Giannis versus Kawhi, I mean, it's kind of a toss-up, honestly, on who you would rather have. Uh, in my mind, I would rather have Kawhi. I've ha- I had Kawhi. Um, <laughs> but uh, I-, I think it comes down to, and I, the reason that I-, I think Toronto will still win this, uh, is I think it comes down to championship playoff experience. Uh, I mean, the Bucks. This is kind of their first go-round, their first rodeo, in a sense. Uh, for the players on Toronto, it's not – I mean, Kyle Lowry's been ousted in the playoffs by LeBron how many times? He's been there before, uh, you know, still lost, or you know, and that's cool or whatever. But I think that shot have, uh, that Kawhi hit got rid of any bad voodoo on that Toronto team and instilled yeah. actually a lot of confidence in that group. You know, I think it did too. And, and you said Kawhi, you know, Danny Green. Uh, Mark Gasol, you know, Mark Gasol doesn't have, you know, finals experience, but Mark Gasol's been there for how many times in a, you know, he's been there before he's done this. He's always on the grit and grind Grizzlies. Uh, so I, I think it's just going to come down to playoff experience. Uh, if this, I mean, I granted that this series is close, you know, let's say we're going to Toronto at one, one and not two and oh, with the potential for, you know, Giannis to take a three Oh lead. Uh, then I think this comes down to experience. I, I still like Toronto. I've liked Toronto all season. Uh, so I would be hard-pressed to to say that, you know, Toronto's got to have game two and, and tie this thing up. All right. Coming up next is Soli Ingles from KSNT, set to join us. Got a great, great chat with him. Coming up on the other side, you're listening to the Jones Report. What's this time, ladies and gentlemen? We welcome into the program from KSNT in Topeka. It is uh, Soli Ingles who joins us right now, making his debut on the Jones Report. Soli, I-, I can't believe it took this long to finally make it happen, but here we are. I know. It's it's an honor for us again to, uh, to be back in the studio, but first time on the podcast and. What was it? Ten months of me being here to get out here. You know, it's it took a while, but you know, I got the juices marinating now, flowing. Everything should be good. I think it's gonna be a good time out here. I think so. And you came in today wearing this awesome Shaq shirt, <laughs> commemorating his three championships. Mm-hmm. What, what a legend! I, I love the throwback. Is is that an original? It is. I got this. Uh, obviously, you guys can't see this, but it's it's Shaq, Shaq to Shaq to Shaq championships, referring to the three he got in L.A. <laughs> uh, I got this at a thrift store for one dollar. Oh, uh, so it was an all-time steal, I think. Uh, my friend actually found it didn't fit him, so I came up on it. And uh, with the Lakers being where they're at, you know, me being from Los Angeles, I really had to uh, remember the good times at this point. Although we did just get the fourth pick, so I'm pretty excited about that. But beyond that, there's not too much to be too happy about right now, I guess. <laughs> I'm not a Laker fan, but I 
respect the game yep. of you know getting the thrift store oh, yeah. and, and picking up that shirt like that is outstanding. So credit where credit's due of finding that and uh, going from there. Sully, first off, uh, tell us about yourself. Uh, obviously, a, a big LA guy. You're from California. Tell mm-hmm. us uh, about your background. Yeah, born and raised in Los Angeles, about five minutes from Dodger Stadium, ten minutes from. Uh, the Staples Center, where the Lakers and unfortunately the Clippers play as well, just not for long. Um, and the Kings. And the, oh, yeah, I can't forget. Go Kings, go. A couple uh, Stanley Cups when I was there. That's my claim to hockey fandom, I guess, if I have to say it. When they're good, I'm a fan of hockey. You and everyone else in LA. Pretty much, yeah. It's a very fair weather town out there. Um, I'm a diehard for everything else, so I'll say that. And so grew up there, enjoyed that. Went to school in Northern California, played some baseball up there, Chico State, go Cats. Um, from there, came back home to L.A., trying to figure out what I was going to do. Worked at the ABC station there. Behind the scenes, decided, you know, sports broadcasting is the way to go for me. Spent a little time. Got my first job in Wyoming. Just a terrible experience. Great state. <laughs> uh, if you like the outdoors, get up there. Go be a cowboy. Do all that stuff. But uh, my station was not the business. Then I was lucky enough to get a job down here in Topeka. Now I'm covering the great area of northeast Kansas, and I uh, couldn't be happier. You know, you, you say great area northeast Kansas and in Topeka and everything. I know that Topeka is not anything too special, uh, <laughs> a newsflash for those folks out there, but <laughs> the sports scene is actually pretty incredible for uh, a market of that size to have so many teams to cover at such a high level, whether it's Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs mm-hmm. or the you know Royals or KU, K-State, whatever. I mean, there is so much going on. Here we are in the month of May now, and yet, I mean, we, we there's still a, a decent amount yeah. of stuff going on for a, a market this size. Yeah, really, like, since I started the end of July, you know, maybe had two weeks that were a little slow, but I was kind of training, and then from the middle of August on, it's been pretty much nonstop the entire time. I think this area is so unique in that sense where, first off, people care about sports so much. You know, you, you named everything right there from KU to K-State, the Chiefs, Royals when they're better. It's still fun having another major league team, and all the other things that go around that's all amazing and incredible. Not many people that are just in a starting off market get to do that. And then on top of that, the people, like I said, just care so much. So if you go to a high school game, everyone's excited to see you there. You know, I think it's a unique experience for me because you know, growing up in a big city, it's a, a dream to have a camera come out to your game or even have someone come write a story about you for the LA Times or whatever. You know, that happened one time in my entire high school and high school career, not even about me, but things like that. So when you go out to a game and I think it's cool to see yourself, you know on the highlights in the sports cast or whatever it may be, it's a unique experience the kids get out here. And something that I think is, is pretty awesome because it's like you can you go out and make a play, you got a chance to get on Sports Center. When I was growing up, you better hope your dad has a camcorder in the stands or something like that and it's <laughs> making it happen, you know? <laughs> well, that's uh, that's great, and I'm sure a lot of people appreciate what you guys do uh, covering the uh, sports scene you know, here in the area and going in, in depth as uh, as you do. Uh, no, uh, no question about that. But uh, big... Uh, Big Laker fan. We'll uh, we'll start there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what do you think right now, <laughs> based on where yeah. everything stands? It's been a it's been a wild couple months here. Yeah, I mean, the NBA is such an interesting league, um, an unpredictable league, and, and a fun league year round at this point with the offseason. I think the Lakers. It's really started last year. You know, when they got LeBron, it was in June, maybe I think, if I'm not mistaken, near the, after the you know free agency period started, and that really was like, okay, we're at a high point, and then from there. It's really kind of just gone downhill from, you know, the acquisitions they made are a little questionable, you know, bringing in guys like JaVale McGee, Lance Stevenson, all of is pretty good. Um, just guys that didn't exactly do what they were supposed to do in that role. And the season obviously didn't go as it was supposed to go after LeBron got hurt. And now we're at the point where you had Magic step down that crazy post, like post, not even post game press conference, just a press conference where he showed up and started talking to the media and basically quit. 
Um, getting the fourth pick in the draft is huge. Love to see them trade that for Anthony Davis. Although I don't know exactly what the Pelicans are going to do now that they have the number one pick. I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic. If I'm them, I don't know if AD and Zion exactly coexist. I kind of think Zion needs to be in a great situation for him to really flourish. And it doesn't mean he necessarily has to be ball dominant, but I think maybe, you know, in a dream reality for me, the Lakers give up that fourth pick, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, and get AD in return. And then New Orleans builds a young core around Zion and those two other guys. And that wouldn't be a bad core around no. Zion either, if that is the case. I, I think that in, in Zion's situation there, you know, in, in the Pelicans, that's also assuming that he does play. He doesn't pull out of the draft or demand a trade of some sorts. If he's, he's there in New Orleans, the Pelicans went from looking at a situation of, you know, trading AD, you know, trading AD for Zion or whatever, you know, that t- type of situation. Now, uh, the with getting that number one pick, they'll trade AD or keep him and be in good shape either way. I mean, the the uh, you know cards are in their hands. It's a much better situation, not only just for having that number one pick, but whatever the future may hold, they're pretty well set up either way, no matter what they do with AD. Yeah, and I think, uh, just going back to that first point, Alice, too, I think it's a really interesting opportunity for Zion to be a first player to ever kind of control, well, not maybe the first player ever, but in this new way that the draft works with not hiring an agent, not signing a, a shoe deal, he can you know go back to school just because he doesn't like New Orleans. Although I don't think he's that type of guy, from what everyone says throughout the media. You know, he, seems he doesn't pretty... even have to play; he could sit out. Exactly. It's like, and he would still be the number one pick the year after. He's only what nineteen years old. I think it's kind of crazy that he gets to control his destiny. There's so much made about the NCAA, you know, not paying players and this and that. And obviously, he has a great chance to go out and be set the rest of his life. All he has to do is sign one contract deal with Nike, which is probably what's going to happen, despite the whole Kyrie incident with the rip shoe. Um, I think he still will go to New Orleans, but I think it would be cool. I don't think he's the player to do it, but I'm sure at some point someone's going to be good enough. He's going to be that first pick, and the team who gets that first pick in the lottery, they're just not going to like, and they're just going to be like, okay, well, I'm going to sit a year. I'm going to go to Europe for a year, whatever it may be. And I love that dynamic about college basketball. Any chance to give more power to the players, let them control their own destiny, I'm here for it. Oh, absolutely. If you're not going to pay them a dime, then yeah. give them at least some choice to do some exactly. things. And, and credit to the NCAA, actually, believe it or not, uh, for making the changes to give power to the players like this. Uh, I, I applaud that. that it's been a right move, and, and it changes the game, no question about that. So it, it's going to be fun to see going forward exactly uh, what happens there? You're, you're a former college baseball player. What, mm. What's your best baseball story? Oh man, like on the field, like some on the field, off field, whatever. <sighs> man, they probably some stuff I can't talk about on air. Uh, that would be in the best story category. I think like in the best overall experience going to the World Series. Got to play at the Olympic facility. Got to play against you know tons of guys that were drafted. I always think that's interesting. A couple teammates that are in Double A, Triple A now. So those are kind of the coolest things. I always enjoy running into dudes that I have played against that are now doing well. Um, for example, Brad Keller, the Royals' number one starter, he was at one of my teammates' weddings. So I met him there, and we like hung out throughout the night. You know, We're just chilling at, at the party, you know, grabbing drinks, things like that. And then sure enough, you know, here we are two years later, I'm covering him, and he's the number one starter for the Royals. And I just think that's such an interesting dynamic from playing. You know, Obviously, I had to hang on my cleats at some point because my arm just went... What a crap, basically. It fell apart on me. But now I kind of get That's why this, you didn't go pro. 100%. Otherwise, I'd be, you know, you'd be interviewing a player right, right now, in my mind. Or if I was a lefty. That's the other thing, you know. But got to throw harder these days than I did, so that's how it goes. But I love that kind of dynamic is knowing the background of guys or, or having hung out with them outside the field. I always think that's a fun thing.
Oh yeah, no no question. Uh, you you could see another side of them yeah. and and loosen up a little bit per se. Exactly. Uh, c- comparably speaking of what you're uh, accustomed to. So, uh, let's looking at uh you know here in you know this this market you know it's it's been Patrick Mahomes crazy mm-hmm. especially just right about that time you arrived here. I mean this is a a wild dynamic uh, besides just the play that we saw in the field this past year, just the the love that there is for this guy. I mean. He, he, he could do no wrong but anywhere he goes. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you know, from kids getting the same style haircut to, you know, people's infatuation with him and the ketchup and everything like that, it, it just doesn't stop. I think that's something interesting, you know, like being from L.A., we didn't have a football team. USC football is really the pro team until they got the Rams and the Chargers and all that. And I'm sure it's changed slightly since I've left, but there was not as much passion about any pro sport or any one particular player, maybe like Kobe, you know, and that's the same level. And Kobe's one of the greatest to ever do it. Um, and Patrick Mahomes just in one year is on that same level, you know, and obviously understandably being the MVP, 50 touchdown passes, all that good stuff. Um, people's interest and love for any little piece of chief stuff, any little funny story, any really anything about him is what I think is so interesting out here. And I love that they get so into sports, you know, Arrowhead's unlike any other environment I've ever seen. You have people showing up at 6 a.m. to start grilling meats, getting the tailgate going, no matter what the time of the game is. It smells so good when uh, you arrive. It's so hard to walk through the parking lot. And it's weird, too, because like, when I'll go out there and shoot a story about the fan interaction and just immediately get offered barbecue all the time. Chiefs fans are always so great about that. Usually got to turn it down because I can't be spilling all over myself looking like a fool because i got to go on TV later. But there's no real experience like going to Arrowhead that I've ever been around. Maybe in the college ranks there's probably some close environments that I haven't been able to check out yet. Um, but there really is nothing like a game day on Sunday at Arrowhead. Oh, no, there's no comparison uh, no. whatsoever, and, and it's so unique, everything about it, uh, just the surroundings that, that come with it, that come with Arrowhead Stadium, and uh, the folks that are so passionate about about coming out there. What, what were uh, some of your experiences this past year, just from you know going there and being around Chiefs fans? I'm sure you, you ran into some crazies and saw some things over this past year. Yeah, I mean, it's just... Um, out in the parking lot, I think the craziest thing is like the people that bring you those huge like buses, vans, and set up. Yes. It's like that is insane to me, and I love every minute of it. Like I wish I could just go and experience that as a fan. You know, it's I love covering the team. You get that side of it. You get to go down on the field, and that's all fantastic. But the game day experience is something I'd love to just be able to do as someone who enjoys football and who enjoys that. Um, the people that just really show up so early. You know, if it's a you know, they're playing Sunday night football. I'm assuming they open the gates at like noon or something like that. And people are lined up, you know, like the AFC Championship, they're lined up, what, four hours early just to try and get in and get a spot. Like, there's just something about to that. To the seat they've already paid for. Exactly. Like, I love the idea of like just getting your entire day wrapped around it. Like, Sunday, like, people, it's, it's Chief Sunday. Like, clear your schedule. Like, you know what you're going to do. Yeah. Like, I, I love that idea. Um, and I just love the passion for it because it's like nothing about when you're covering the team, you want people to care about it. And that's obvious out here. Oh yeah, no, no question. Uh, that's that goes a long way. That makes our jobs easier yep. when it's people that care uh, about what's going on. And you know what's what's so funny is that you know I, I complain about I, I hate that middle of the day kickoff time because mm-hmm. you know that takes up our entire day. Yeah, these folks, it doesn't matter if it's a late game, an early game, middle of the day game. They they clear the schedule, clear the entire yep. deck for that Chiefs game. Yeah, I mean, it could be a midnight kickoff. They kick off at 2 a.m. It could be whatever it is. Chiefs are going to fill that stadium. They're going to be crazy. They're going to be loud. The weather, I mean, last year you saw it. It got down to, what, below zero for that, you know, second-round game, and no problem. Stadium filled. Fans just as crazy as ever. There's nothing that deters them from getting out and cheering on Chiefs Kingdom. 
You mentioned the, the fans and the buses and all that. I think my most unique experience out there was, uh, and, and still is, every time the Raiders come to town. Ugh. And you know they they show up they show up wherever they may be whether it's you know in the area from Oakland whatever you got that mix in Chiefs fans together and, and the and the Raiders travel so well yeah. wherever they're at it is a, a wild dynamic and I mean you being from LA a ton mm-hmm. of Raider fans out there I mean those people are so unique in themselves them and Chiefs fans head to head I mean that's uh, that, that that can be almost as entertaining as the game is 100 percent I mean Raiders Nation Chiefs Kingdom. Two of the most passionate fan bases, and the Raiders and polar fans, opposites. Polar, uh, they have similarities, but at the same time, like the the Raiders fans are like a little grittier, probably a little meaner. Like I've had stories of my friends that go up and root for another team. You go up to Oakland, um, and obviously, you know, I don't know how many more people have the opportunity to do that with them going to Vegas. And it's interesting to see how it will change. But when you go to Oakland and you're wearing like the other team's colors, <laughs> it is not always okay for you. You know, like I was going to go to my buddy's tailgate when the. Uh, Vikings were going to play the Raiders, and I, and I was a Vikings fan growing up, and I was going to wear my purple, and he's like, dude, you probably just shouldn't do that. Like, just come in a neutral color. You can change into it maybe when you go in the stadium. That's the difference there. I think the, the Raiders fans are like, they can get a little wild. Depending on where you're sitting, you know, you can go up to a box or whatever in the nice seats, you'll be fine, but like, if you're out, you know, top deck, there's no saying what's going to go down for you if you're getting a little rowdy rooting for the other team, and I don't think you see that as much at Arrowhead. You know, you did a little bit with them throwing the beer cans on the field last year, the bottles or whatever. Every stadium has their their bad eggs, but Raiders Nation as a whole is like a whole different environment, and they really bring it on their own. That bad boy with the laser pointer at exactly. Tom Brady. Exactly, it's like it's just they just do that crazy <laughs> stuff, man. I mean, that was a bad look, and obviously you don't want to do that for your team. But the Raiders just do so much crazy stuff that it like you couldn't even begin. Like it almost like doesn't even make the news because it's such a common occurrence out there. Raiders still the most popular team in LA. Yeah, uh, the Rams probably have eclipsed them in LA, but like growing okay. up, it wasn't wasn't close. You know, it is kind of that melting pot of of NFL fans out there, and like on top of it, all USC. But the traditional like LA fan for when I was growing up, like if you want to like pinpoint, is like Dodgers, Lakers, USC football, UCLA basketball, Raiders football for the NFL. Yeah, and like I think that was always the biggest thing. Like, you had Rams fans, you had Chargers fans, you have this weird mix of like Cowboy fans because everyone you know it was that era of like coming out of America's type teams. People really got attached to them. But for the most part, the Raiders kind of held their own. And I thought, honestly, that they were going to be the team that moved there because I think that would have been a great fit. Yeah, I think um, so. It would have been super fun for the city, and I think they had such a great fan base there to begin with. But Vegas is going to be such a cool experience. And Oh, my god! Like, I got a friend who just started a sports job out in Vegas, and I'm so jealous of him because, like, the team cares so much about their NFL te- or the NHL team there. Um, you know, despite only being in existence for two years, Golden Knights get so much love. And then the Raiders coming out there is going to be insane. You have people traveling out from California every weekend, making their weekend out in Vegas, which is you know insane enough just to begin with. And you put an NFL team in there, it's going to be nuts. All of us, if we can get one road game to go to oh. in the future, we're putting in the request to our bosses for that Chiefs-Raiders game in Las Vegas. Like, that would be a dream. I, like, I couldn't imagine a better experience than going to Vegas experiencing just Vegas as its own for a weekend, like doing that. I don't even know how you get to Sunday in the first part. Like you have to survive. With per diem and everything. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you show up on Thursday, good luck getting to Sunday and feeling fine for that game. Like you're props to you if you can do that. Um, like I, it, it's like a dream to me to a certain degree, like that, that, that is going to happen. Like the NFL is going to be in Las Vegas. That is craziness, but oh, it's going to be fun. I'm so excited. It, it is going to be great. You add in the just the sports gambling aspect and all yeah. that too. 
of where that's taken off, that yeah. that is going to change the game <laughs> when uh, we get to that point. And like next year, the NFL drafts in Vegas. Yeah, like, that's going to be crazy. Like you saw it in Tennessee this year. They had what, like eight hundred thousand strong throughout the whole weekend, right. or something like that. In Vegas, uh, like they're going to shut down the strip. Like I don't know what the plan <laughs> is, but like they better be ready because it's going to be nuts. Like that's going to be one of the like first off hardest weekends to get a room in Vegas probably in this decade. Um, on top of that, it's going to be jam packed more so. Like Vegas has always has a ton of people there, but I can't imagine a scene like that with the NFL fans the way they travel in the middle of the off season. Book a weekend in Vegas, like we were just saying, for a game day. Why not do it for the draft? It's going to be nuts. Oh, it's going to be a litty city. Uh, <laughs> exactly. In Vegas. It's going to be awesome to see uh, when when that comes around next year as far as that goes. The, mm-hmm. the Madden cover's got uh, Mahomes on it. I imagine that there's going to be a lot of copies of that sold around here. I'm intrigued. I haven't bought Madden in a couple of years. Yeah. Even i got to buy this. I think, yeah, I, I haven't. Madden to me was kind of the game that was getting a little stale. You know, it was yeah. the same thing again and again. But with the Mahomes, you gotta imagine they're gonna mix in those sidearm passes, the no look passes. Like I'm here for that. If they want to include that Madden and take it to the next level, I don't know how they'll do that. Like if they have like you know, you know NBA. I feel Street. like playing with Mahomes might be like playing with the Warriors on like, 2K. It is kind of to a certain degree. Like I don't know how you. He didn't show very much weakness the last year, so I don't know how you rank him properly. You know, it's almost like. You have to make him close to like a ninety nine. Like you're not gonna make him all the way up there. I don't think. Yet. I mean, he did turn the ball over a bit, maybe. Like maybe, but, but it's like even then, like when you're a gunslinger, that happens. He's like Brett Favre, all time leader in touchdowns and interceptions. Like they're not gonna knock him for that. Like he just throws it up there and makes it happen. Um, I don't know. Like that's he's that guy. It's like you know when you were playing Madden in the mid two thousands and you have Michael Vick. Like it was over. Like you could either throw it eighty yards or he could run sixty yards in the blink of an eye. Like, I feel like he's going to be that type of player in the Madden game, and he has to be. Like, that's the only fair way because that's his skill set, you know? Oh, and if Kyler Murray turns out to be a star, yeah. that speed that he has, yep. I mean, that's going to be a game changer on Madden as well. Exactly. And it was like, you know, the one knock on Vic was like when you used to play with him and also kind of his career, like he would fumble a lot because he'd run and just have it open in his hand. Like, Kyler, obviously being a smaller guy for the NFL, like, I'm sure he'll get hurt a bunch in the game. Hopefully he doesn't get hurt in the NFL in actuality. We want to see. I, I hope all those guys kind of ball Injuries out. Injuries off. Exactly right. You got to turn it off. Like you don't want to have that nonsense going on. But um, you know, like growing up to get in the video game things, like, I was always big on like the like the almost more unrealistic games. Like I love NFL Blitz. I love NBA Street, yes. MLB Slugfest. Like those are more fun. NBA to me. Street. Yeah, NBA Street was like I probably dedicated like my entire year of being thirteen to like playing NBA Street <laughs> and like trying to dominate all the street legends. Like I had an infatuation <laughs> with that game. I even got into like FIFA Street, like any street game. FIFA they, Street. Any street game they made. Oh yeah, dude, it was so much fun. You could like you know kick it off the wall and you're in, like in some alleyway in France and things like that. They just made it, like totally <laughs> random, but. The like from NFL Blitz growing up, that was my game. I still anyone listening to this podcast needs a challenge in NFL Blitz. I'll come in and whoop you, guaranteed. Especially if it's the OG version. You give me yes. Randy Moss, uh, that Vikings team basically from like the late nineties. I'm coming and getting a W. Like me and Chris Carter and Randy Moss aren't losing games. Like that's how that works. I loved uh, the old NBA Showtime game. Yep, those are great too. I mean anything like that. That's just like. Slightly unrealistic, but that like still. That and jam both. Yeah. yeah, like so much fun. Like NBA Street, like I just mentioned, I love that game. Like I, I wish I still had my PS2 as I did when I was like 11 to 13 so I could play NBA Street. See, this is the perfect time with Mahomes, Kyler Murray, yep. these guys. Oh. to have a street version of that where they just do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's next level. Dude, that would be amazing. Like I'd buy that, you know, yesterday if I could. Uh, like – 
that game, NFL Street, you know, I was playing with like Jeremy Shockey. You get him the ball and he runs over three people before he gets taken down. <laughs> Can you imagine you got, like Kelsey? Now that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, you know, I had like Mike Allstott in that game. Like, you could do whatever you wanted with him. And it's like, imagine that for this set of NFL players with like Odell Beckham, Antonio Brown, Patrick Mahomes. Mike all those Allstott guys. was yeah. such a G. Oh, Mike Allstott, legendary fullback. Like, just my. So gritty. Like, that's, yeah, just ultimate grit guy, neck roll. <laughs> Gigantic traps, uh, terrible goatee. Like, there's not much that you can do better than Mike Allstott did. But, oh, just beautiful. Ah, yeah. You, you don't, there's just not, it's a, you know, a dying position. So you got to appreciate every fullback that's in the league at this point, you know. Uh, Allstott was the, really the trendsetter, though, because he's actually a dude that got the rock. I mean, he had 100 yard games and stuff like that. Like, you don't see that ever now. Like, no. You know, you look at Sherman's uh, stat line, even from the Pro Bowl, he had like the one. 30-plus yard reception, then he had, like, three carries for, like, four yards and, like, two touchdowns or something like that. Right. And it's like, that's a classic fullback line right there. But <laughs> it is. Allstott was a, a game changer, and that you saw that in those crazy video games, man. That's what I love about it. But, um, yeah, we just don't get those anymore. People want the realistic stuff. You know, it's like you play 2K. They want it to be as realistic as possible. I don't need that. Like, I need craziness. I need those double alley-oops from NBA Street, stuff like that. I need game breakers. If you want the realistic stuff, go outside. That's what I mean. Go play yourself. Go to the park and play with your friends. Like, I'm trying to see some nonsense in this game. Like, that's what I'm all about. But that's just me, maybe. Right? I, I want next level. I want to do it big. Yeah. Go it's, big or go home. It's It's got to be crazy. It's got to be silly. Like, that's the fun in video games. It's just like when it's, it's you know, it's not real. Like, you got to have some fun with it. And I think that's what made those games so great. And I'd love to see it come back. On any platform from them. I'll tell you what. When it comes to like the NCAA football or basketball, I'll just oh. take anything you give me. It, it can be as basic as could be, just yeah. something. That is the one realistic game that I probably love more than anything else. Uh, NCAA football. And actually, funny enough, like growing up, I didn't, uh, you know, like Kansas wasn't on my radar at all, obviously, being from the West Coast. But a team I played with a ton was Kansas State because of their offense. Yeah. Like I loved running the option. Like That was my thing. And I just stuck with them all the time because I knew that's what they ran. And so I like would always play with them. Them in like Texas, I really liked because I like really liked the Longhorns growing up for some reason. Yeah. I don't know if I liked that burnt orange. I don't really like them anymore. Um, but I always just ended up playing with those teams. Or when I created a player, like I'd love to go to Texas. I don't know what it was. Part of it was like I kind of was that you know, um, I was like a, not like an anti fan, but I was like you know I liked seeing USC lose kind of growing up. I yeah. became more and more of a fan. But like going back to that classic Rose Bowl game between Texas and USC. Like, that was so much fun, and I kind of loved Texas for a while there because of that, like, with Vince Young and, and all that stuff going on, like, you know, sneaking to the, you know, in between the pylons right there to win the game with seconds left. Like, that was so big in LA. Probably the yeah. biggest game growing up of, of football, maybe even still in my life. Like, I can't remember a bigger game in that sense because it it's— It's the greatest college football game of all time. That's what I mean, yeah, and it was in LA, essentially, in Pasadena, you know, about 30 minutes from the campus of USC. So many friends that were at that game. One of my good friends, Jesse, you know, probably my best friend, a USC alumni— was there as a kid, had to watch that devastation in person, and I wasn't too mad about it, but he still doesn't want to talk about that game to this day, and uh, he has some hot takes on that as well. So, <laughs> tough life. Sorry, Jess. I'm very intrigued what these hot takes are. You know, I mean, just, does he think it was fixed of some sorts? Yeah, there's like plays throughout the game where it's like, you know, that should have been illegal, this or that, that would have changed the course, but like every fan has those things picking out. And when it comes down to it, like USC fans just hate Texas because of that. Like, there's, they started a rivalry. Like, I'm glad they're playing these. Uh, like home and homes, or I think they're they're playing at maybe neutral sites the last couple of years. Like that is a, a, not a rivalry that isn't talked about enough because of that game. Like I don't know if it feels the same way for Texas fans because I don't really talk to them, but USC fans don't like Texas at all, and they would like to play them 
as often as possible to try and beat them for sure. I love when you can create a rivalry yeah. organically. Exactly. Like Alabama and Clemson is now a hated rivalry. Mm-hmm. They they cannot stand each other. And just a few years ago, we'd never even seen those two schools even you know, mentioned in the same breath. Yeah. And that, that to me, what makes sports great. Like the best rivalry in the NBA right now is probably the Thunder and the Warriors. Yep. And five years ago, those were just two teams that happened to be in the same conference. Right, or even go, you know, Portland and the Thunder after that last series. They just had a full of trash talking and Dame hitting that shot that he did. Those kind of, like you said, organic rivalries, non-conference and college football, things like that, are almost more fun. The traditional ones are fun, like KUK State's always going to be fun. Michigan, right. Ohio State's always going to be fun. USC, UCLA is always going to be fun. But when you have these ones that just kind of come from crazy matches or crazy plays or things that people don't <laughs> agree with, that's what really changes the game, I think. It makes it almost, those are, to a certain degree, better. You know, the tradition is great, I love that, but ones that just kind of come out of nowhere are so much fun to be around. Yeah, no question about it. You know, speaking of uh, the, the NCAA game real quick, uh, last year I had uh, Brad Nessler on this show, <laughs> and uh, I told him that, you know, hey, you, you've called a few of my national championships, and he said to me, he said, did, did you play with Kansas? And I said, oh, yeah, I did, <laughs> of course. And, it, of course, I won national championship oh, with yeah. Kansas. And you were on the call. I mean, that, to me, was, like, the moment that I realized that, you know, my my sense of, uh, you know, this fantasy life yeah. I'd live in reality had met face-to-face when, when Brett Nessler acknowledged <laughs> that happened. That is pretty cool. And, you got I mean, he's such a legend. That voice is, is you know, going to be stuck in your head forever from hearing those games, the calls and everything. <laughs> like, I – that – him and Kirk Herbstreit, like that's like childhood to me, you know. Lee and, Corso, like, Lee there Corso, too. putting on the the mascot heads, like, <laughs> dude, like I, like Lee is kind of you know obviously getting up there in age. Like I don't know how much longer he's gonna do it, but like he is a legend to me. Like the the way he presented everything in that game and anything else was so much fun. And, and like you said, dude, going back to the other point, if you're a kid and you were like picking a top tier team, like I know I said I picked Texas, but if I'm doing a dynasty mode. Like, I'm picking Appalachian State, and I'm running back for national championships. Oh, like yeah. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to pick the worst program. I'll, like, my parents went to Minnesota, so I'd pick Minnesota a lot. We would just run I off. picked Tulsa a lot yeah, living there. stuff like that. You know, and that was the fun of that game. It was like, you do the recruiting thing. The day that Tulsa gets the invite to the Big 12. Exactly, yes. right? Like I, And, like, I'm changing the offense. I'm putting in, like, a run option offense. <laughs> like, I'm just totally messing stuff up that would never happen and just letting them play. And that was what made that game beautiful. The college basketball game was fun, too. And they even had a college baseball game for a year, underrated for me. MVP baseball. Exactly. The, well, that was one of the best video games of all time. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, I think they had a Texas kid on the cover. They did. Um, and, like, so for me there, I'd either play with Minnesota or Cal State Fullerton, who is a powerhouse, but that's, like, that was my dream school when I was growing up. I wanted to play there. Yeah. Um, and I just absolutely love that game. Like, I spent way more time playing that than maybe – like, I'd bet on anyone else. Like, I don't know how many more people played that college baseball game than I did for the length that I did. Like, I ran that disc into the ground. I had scratches when I was done. You you played that more than the show? Yeah, for sure. That year – because it's only one year, if I'm not mistaken. That's true. Absolutely played that more than the than the pro game. Like the like I love the pro baseball. The best uh, like pro baseball game was MVP baseball. I think two thousand four, if I'm not mistaken. Was the that one, the one you could charge the mound? Yeah, you could like charge the mound. That was, it was like that was great awesome. to hit bombs. Like I'm pretty sure it has Manny Ramirez on the cover. If I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, or All Star Baseball nineteen ninety nine with Derek Jeter on the cover. That was another childhood classic for me. Um, those games are just unbelievable. It's so much fun. But the college baseball game was. Like a, a very big moment for me in my childhood because I just like a lot of kids like dreamed of playing the MLB and obviously I did too but like I really wanted to play college baseball growing up because like I'd been around it a lot I loved it the atmosphere is just different than pros you know if you ever get a chance 
go watch a school in the SEC play. Like, I don't think we get it as much in the Big 12. Maybe some of the schools in Texas or maybe Oklahoma when they're good. But it's just a different experience, and it's so much fun. Oh, no question. No question about it. A couple more things before we let you run here. Mm-hmm. In your, your short time of you know covering these teams, all sorts of characters, whether it be yeah. Les Miles now, Bill Self, you know, Snyder, you know, Kleiman even is a, a you know pretty funny guy. Mm-hmm. Ned Yost, just you know, just to name a few, who, who are some of the guys that stood out that, uh, that that you've worked with and gotten to be around with in in your short time? Yeah, my favorite, so I, like Ned Yost is a good one. I think yeah, I, he's probably the one I've talked to the least. Um, but just he's such a baseball guy, like an old school baseball guy, and those were what my coaches were like. I don't necessarily agree with him a lot of points now, you know, as far as like approach to the game, things like that. But just hearing him talk, like how about calling up Nicky Lopez a lot sooner than this? Yeah, I mean, like, it was just obvious. Like, he probably should have started the year at the club. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know what Chris Owings is doing on the roster. Like, he's not really doing much. Uh, but, like, this dude is hitting 350 in AAA. Like, bring him up. Like, come on now. Um, he's But he's that guy that, like, he'll 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 send it right back to you. you know, there are some coaches that, you know, if you don't come with the best question, they're going to be nice and kind of word it in a way. Like, Ned Dios will just tell you, like, that's dumb. You know, and I really like that about him. Um, Bill Self is is always a pleasure. I think he's one of the most interesting coaches I've ever been around or ever heard speak. Just because like gives interesting answers, will agree or disagree with you, and then just being able to be so kind of accessible when you have that day with them is unlike anything else. And then I like the players too. You know, it's like it, it's I think that's so much fun. Like the coaches are so pro, and like everyone that you mentioned on that list there has like done it for so long. But like some of the guys are just so funny, you know, like K-State basketball players are pretty funny this year. I really like Diedrich Lawson was one of my favorites to yeah. talk to. Like he was so like raw and like would give it to you straight every time. Mike Lee on the football team. I like talking to, I think he's funny all the time. He gives you like genuine answers. That's the biggest thing is like when someone can come out and just like shoot straight with you. I think Andy Reid is sneaky funny. He, oh yeah. So Andy Reid, me and Andy Reid have a connection that like I haven't talked to much about, but me and him, he's from my hometown in Los Angeles. Really? We went to the same high school. We have mutual friends. It's like, I'm trying to get some one-on-one time because I see Andy Reid, and I'm like, hey, Pete Arbogast told me to say, uh, what's up? He's going to stop, and we're going to have a conversation. I guarantee you. Cause Pete, oh, yeah. Pete, if you don't know Pete, I'm sure you don't. People are listening. But Pete Arbogast is the voice of USC radio football, and he does some of the other sports there, too. He's like five, six years older than Andy Reid. They both went to John Marshall High School, where I went to John Marshall. Pete's like the legend there now. He keeps all his stats. He does every football game. But Pete um, was Andy's like little league coach and like was his mentor growing really? up. Really? They're like super close. They still talk. So he messaged me, Peter messaged me on Facebook. He's like, hey, if you ever get a chance with Andy Reid, tell him like you know me and he'll stop and he'll talk to you because they're that close. And like he still every time he goes back to LA to see each other. Andy Reid loves, I think there's an article about this, loves Tommy Burger, which is a big chain in LA. They do chili cheeseburgers. He gets them frozen and sent out to him here in in Kansas or Missouri, I guess, where he probably lives. He he lives in OP, actually. Does he? Okay. I didn't know exactly where he lived at. But yeah, so he, um, is an L.A. guy through and through. And that's a thing I really like about Reed. Some people are like, okay, Reed's kind of boring, and he gives you very long-winded answers. But I got so much love for Andy Reed just because he's an L.A. John Marshall guy like myself. Oh, he, he is very unique. Yeah. Andy Reed is in a league of his own. But that's fascinating mm. to, uh, to figure that out. With with Les Miles, you know, it, it's been a wild couple of months, you know, from the Rick yeah. Ross stuff to all that. But I, I keep having to remind myself, you know, this is, you know, May. You know, a lot of stuff happened in April. This is still very early. Yeah. This is exciting as it is now. We're in for a treat for the next couple of years. Yeah, you got to think, you know, we haven't even, like, scratched the surface with anything yet. You know, we've only right. had so many opportunities to talk to him. It's been... And it is the honeymoon phase. It when is, there is sure. a loss or two, things will start to saying. dwindle down a bit, but 
It's like they're you know, still, I think, the best yet to come. Yeah, like the non-con for KU this year is all winnable, you know, and I think that's going to be the big thing. Is like if they go out and they go, I don't know how many they play before conference season three or four, three, three, right? They go three and zero. Oh, like people are going to be going crazy here. Like going to the Big Twelve undefeated. Like I don't know when the last time it happened. Maybe two thousand eight or something. Even like if that, the right? Boston College game on the road is a close game, right? Exactly. Like two and one would be. They would love that, and they had a chance to do that last year with Nickel State in the first game like that, and obviously that didn't go as possible, but. That, I think, would give them some real hope. And if they can get to six wins, which I don't think is out of this world, I mean, it, it kind of depends on how the Big 12 is going to shake out, um, people are going to be going nuts. And it's like, you know, people joke about it being a football school, but I think these games are going to be very well attended if they're winning. Obviously, you could say that about any program yeah. in the nation, but, like, from where KU was to where it could be, you know, see those photos of 2008 when the stadium was full and all that kind of stuff? It'd be interesting to be around that, I think. And I think the way that people treat the basketball games – you could see some of that translation over to football, and that would be just incredible. Right, and I know attendance has been poor for the last you know few years, and and you know there just hasn't been a whole lot of excitement. But they haven't given them reason to cheer and yeah. show up. I mean, if if your team you know put up six wins in you know a four year stretch mm-hmm. and was that bad for a decade, I don't care where you are in the country, your attendance would fall off significantly. And you know it just happened to be very bad, very bad circumstances. So. Uh, the the fan base still does need to do their part too, um, but I would expect there to be significant improvement this year uh, as far as that goes. Sully, before we uh, let you go, where can people connect with you, man? Oh man, on Twitter at Sully KSNT. If you're a Facebook person, at Sully KSNT is there as well. I got an Instagram. You can just look at my name if you really want to get on that. But that's not much sports. Really, Twitter, just like yourself, Tyler, the place to go, the place I I spend most of my time uh, spinning out that nonsense about sports. That's great stuff, Sully. Appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, no worries. Thanks for having me on. We continue here on the Jones Report. Big thanks to Sully Ingles for joining us here today. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges, back here with you now. PGA Championship in progress as we're taping this second round already underway. And uh, Brooks Kepka, man, was he good in round one as uh, he shot a course record 63 at Beth Page Black. And this is the first time they've ever had a... Uh, major championship there at Bethpage Black. And, you know, they've had some big golf tournaments there in the past, but it's a pretty unique deal that they're having this there. Tom, before we dive into too much shop on the uh, tournament itself, here's some uh, numbers for you just about Bethpage Black. It is a public course right there on Long Island in uh, New York. And you can play this course, Tom. Get this. On weekdays, if you're a New York resident, you can play 18 holes of this course for 65 bucks is all. And that's a steal. If you're out of state, like what we would be, 130. Twilight hours. If you're a New York resident, you can play for 39 bucks. If you're an out of state resident, you can pay. You can play for 78 dollars. Weekends. 18 holes, New York resident, 75 bucks. Out of state, 150. Twilight hours on the weekends, 45 for New York resident, $90 for an out of state resident. So how about that, Tom? Even, you know, like let's say twilight hours, and this time of year you can get a full 18 in in twilight <laughs> hours. Um, you and I could play at a major championship course for less than 100 bucks. That's unreal. Yeah, it is unreal, and especially if we're New York residents. I mean, that's unheard of. Uh, I mean, that's kind of like Tory Pine prices. 
I, I mean, you can, I, I forget what it is at Torrey Pines, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, obviously a championship level course. And I think you can, I think the green fee I want to save is like a hundred bucks, maybe cheaper than that. That's, I'm just guesstimating there, but that's insane. Uh, if I live closer to New York, I would definitely, you know, I wouldn't take a trip just for golf as I'm not that good myself, but uh, if I ended up there, I would definitely take the chance and play. Oh, you you would have to. And there's a sign outside the course, Tom, that says, warning, the black course is an extremely difficult course, which we recommend for only highly skilled golfers. So you and I probably wouldn't fall in that category of the highly skilled golfers, but with as cheap as it is in a major championship course, Tom, I think I would have to at least try it, even though I'm not a highly skilled golfer, just to be able to say I played on a major championship course for that cheap. Oh uh, yeah, Duh. I mean I don't care if I'm if I shoot a 120, right? I don't. I mean I don't care if it's worse than that. I'm still gonna play. It, I mean I wonder if you can drink beer on the course. If you can, I'm game. John Daly. I would, I would feel is, bad though, uh, if I made a divot. If I made a divot, I would feel super bad. John Daly this week is going around on a golf cart. Drink and drinking from his McDonald's cup and smoking his Marlboros uh, on the course. So I, I bet you could get away with a beer. Oh, I'm imagining so. If yeah, I mean, I like to think of Daly as my spirit animal. Sometimes I think you two would just, get along very well. I think we would. I think we would have a hell of a time. I think he could probably out party me though. Definitely in my upper twenties, I'm I'm getting to where. It's like, okay, I, I don't know how a person of his age still does it. This week, but he I was, would try. I would try just like I would try the championship course. This week, he was wearing like some New York Yankees pants and everything, too. I mean, this guy was, I think, the, uh, the first coming of Ricky Fowler. Ricky Fowler is going to be John Daly when he's older. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I like seeing his Snapchats, Fowler Snapchats, because when he's not playing, you know, pretty darn good golf, uh, he's playing still darn good golf while he's having fun with Smiley Coffin. Uh, that is something, if I had the money, I would aspire to be. I don't right. have the money, but if I did, I would, I would so be doing stupid stuff. You know, what he posts on his Snapchat is, is damn near gold. Yeah, uh, good good week there at the uh, the PGA Championship, and and what's so funny for me, Tom, is watching it on on TV at home. I'm looking around, and you know the tents and the buildings and all this that they they're putting on the course. It's the exact same ones that were at the PGA Championship last year when I was there in St. Louis. So they had to have some type of amazing, you know, storage and transportation units they use. Because it's crazy just looking how similar it is, the setup from New York as it was in St. Louis. It's it's almost odd not being there when I can see exactly where I was and how how it's almost the exact same. That is pretty cool. Um, I wonder, yeah, I wonder, I wonder if they have like a big semi. I've never seen like a PGA Tour semi. You know, you see like the college football trucks and, you know, big – you know, NFL fans. If you think about and, you know, it, though, if you're them and this stuff is worth so much value, I mean, you're the PGA, wouldn't you not want to put that in the highway that, oh, yeah, 
this is a PGA truck. We're parked on the middle of the highway. Uh, go ahead and and rob us, you know, and take our truck. Like, wouldn't you want it to be look like just a a normal semi truck of some sorts? Yeah, I guess that's true, and yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I, I mean, it would be cool. You see, like the Budweiser horses and and things like like that. I guess it's just equipment, uh, but that would be cool. And you know, I mean, thinking about it now, I've never seen golf advertised on a vehicle. Right, right. Uh, this week at the uh, PGA Not Championship. In that, you know, that region. Right. As we're uh, recording this, uh, Brooks Kepka dominated after that first round, shooting a course record of sixty three. And at seven under, and I know that, you know, he's about to go through round two and everything here in just, just a little while from right now. But, Tom, I feel like this is, with Tiger having the slow start he did, I mean, it was it was crazy to think that Tiger could win a major, I think, right after just winning the Masters three weeks ago. Since they moved the PGA to May, it's a game changer. It's I think that Tiger... It was great for him to win that, and that was awesome and all. But the emotional, you know, side that he went through, and you know, just dealing with that, I, I think that's a lot to ask of a guy to win in a, a major just three weeks after the Masters. I, I thought that was a lot, so I didn't have Tiger winning this week. But in Brooks's case, he's been the best golfer in the world the last two years. He's won three out of the last seven majors. And he won the PGA Championship a year ago. Brooks had to be the favorite this weekend, I felt. And he looked like it in that first round. And I was not surprised because this is the Brooks Kepka we've come to know so far this year. Yeah, that's true. And Jones, in your opinion, is he the most underwhelming golfer of our generation? Um, I think so, yes. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I've never seen... Uh, a golfer as good as Brooks that has just been, I don't, I don't he know. He is the result. He is the result of the Tiger generation, of the kids like us. I mean, because Brooks isn't too much older than you and I are. He's like 27 or 28, something like that. Um, you know, he's a part of that generation of us that grew up watching Tiger, and he completely modeled his game completely like Tiger. I mean, he's he's built like him and everything, and that's the result you get. Is a guy that is just like him, the only thing that's different is that he's boring he's monotone he doesn't you know bring any attention to himself and uh i guess he didn't get that aspect of tiger which which is what we all know and love was not only that he dominated but he was so fun and entertaining brooks isn't that way at all yeah maybe that maybe for him that's why uh you know maybe that's why he's so good doesn't you know he doesn't there's nothing there's nothing flashy about him. There's nothing that stands out. It's he's almost like a, just a normal guy who's really good at golf. Is it too uh, early, Tom, to call him the second coming? Oof. You know, I think we said that about Jordan Spieth, and I think we said that about Rory, and they had their good golf. And, and you know, they're still both great golfers, but if, for what Brooks Kupka has done. If Brooks man, wins this weekend, close. though, he would have accomplished. If he wins this weekend. That's what I'm saying. If he wins this weekend, he would have accomplished more than Spieth and Rory has, and he did it in such a short amount of time. That, And not to mention he's dominating these performances, too. That's where I think it would be tough to look at him and not I mean, see how great he uh, is. Course record on the first day, pretty impressive. Uh, I mean, I 
I still don't think they'd make a video game after him. Right. Oh, no, no. No one's playing Brooks Kepka PGA 2020. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. I wonder if they made it out. I, I, I guarantee people would still buy it. I would not. Oh, no, no, no. I would boycott that. Sorry, Brooks. I wonder what the music soundtrack on it. You know that every game, every sports game has music on it. I wonder if they would put, like, classical music to, you know, how boring it would be. Right. Uh, Brooks Vision, that's not Tiger Vision. Yeah, you could, you know, put preview to a little music in the background, a little Mozart. Yeah, no thanks. I'll yeah. pass. <laughs> I'll pass. Um, Tiger, though, I, I, you know, he's not going to win this weekend. But I still think that there's a good chance that he wins a major this year. I do think that he's going to get win number 82 and probably 83 and top the all-time wins list on the PGA Tour. I think that's going to happen this year. This weekend, just it was too close in time, and this course wasn't, uh, you know, too his liking per se. Like I think it was just way too quick of a turnaround for Tiger to be a contender this weekend. I still like him to have a good year this year, though. Uh, and win more than just what he did in the Masters. And even if he just comes away with a win in the Masters this year, doesn't win another thing, it's going to be a successful year for Tiger Woods. Yeah, I think so. And it is a lot to ask just coming off the Masters to turn around and win again. Uh, I, I think that goes for just about anybody. Uh, I mean, it's you know it's hard to sustain a level of success uh, at Tiger's age and after all he went through and, and just the emotional ride of winning the Masters. I mean, you can't you can't put that pressure on him. I know it's still Tiger, but you can't just expect him to come out and, and win again. Right, right. It, it was going to be too quick, but uh, Tiger, Tiger will do something. I, I think that this is uh, – it wasn't a one-hit wonder with Tiger. I think we're still going to see some good golf. Just this weekend wasn't set up for him uh, as far as that goes. Before we get out of here today, Tom, let's uh, do our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. I do not know what this is. I'm going to find out, like everyone else right now, what is uh, this week's Tom Fullery Story of the Week. So we were going to do uh, Minnesota uh, banning drive throughs but then I found a better one uh, that kind of relates to, I guess drive throughs relate to everyone, but this one, to me, stood out more of Tom Fullery. I get why you would try to ban drive throughs as you know, trying to promote more active lifestyle or, you know, if you want McDonald's to get your fat ass out of the car <laughs> or go get it yourself. Uh, even though I, I always use the drive through nobody goes in. Nobody wants to do that. I go uh, in I because I get one. tired of waiting in the drive through The drive through takes forever. You, you know, sometimes it is faster. Yeah, that is very true. You know, on the opposite, though, I've been at a Taco Bell before where I waited forever inside to get my food and saw like 30 cars go through the drive through uh, so, I mean, I guess it just depends on the time. But this one I, I thought was more tomfoolery, and it's from Chicago. Uh, and the headline reads, Chicago becomes the first city to collect Netflix tax. And I thought, are you kidding me? Uh, this was yesterday. Chicago has collected $2 million in tax from Sony Eventbrite, the ticket, the ticket vendor, and Fandango, movie vendor. Uh, becoming the first large city to successfully tax digital streaming and service providers, Bloomberg, Bloomberg reports. The four-year-old levy dubbed the Netflix tax still faces a lawsuit from a group representing Netflix, Amazon Prime, and Spotify customers. 
Other cities and states are considering taxing digital services as more and more shopping moves online. Uh, this is, that is the stupidest shit I've ever heard. No. You know, I'm all for, you know, I, you know, I get why taxes are in place. I get that. But no, no. Netflix is already moving up in price. Uh, and Stranger Things is about to come out. No, absolutely not. Because if this happens, then they're going to start tax- taxing like an additional tax on Amazon, an additional, you know, Netflix, Hulu, HBO. I don't even have HBO, but I did. Uh, well, aren't you already opens the door well, for Tom, taxing everything? You, you already pay normal what? sales tax on it anyway. So it's a specific tax for the yeah. Netflix. That's ridiculous. Yeah, this is getting crazy. Here, it Why should on. we Four be punished? Ago, Chicago imposed a 9% tax on streaming entertainment services. Why should we be punished for using yeah, a product? Then they, you know, yeah, not to mention you already pay for the internet. And then, you know, a lot of internet nowadays, especially I'm sure in big cities, they have caps. Which is the stu- one of the stupidest things that's ever been done is to, you know, if you use so many, you know, so much gigs, then you go up to the next level and you get charged an extra 150 bucks on top of what you already pay. Uh, I, I think that comes down to that if you pay for online, you should be able to use it as much as possible. Uh, you know, it, I think it balances out that, you know, there's people out there that have 100 gigs down and don't even use it to the capability um of what it can do and so now you want to charge us for the online and then pay taxes on that take tax out of your normal pay put tax on you know your property you know property you're taxing for everything and i get it i you know i a lot of people say taxation is theft and it is to a certain extent this crosses the line of theft uh they say I didn't even know this. Four years ago, like I said, Chicago imposed a nine percent tax on streaming entertainment services, leading to a flurry of lawsuits. Rightfully so. Now the city has collected two million in sales tax from Sony and two online ticketing services, making it the first major city to, to collect such a tax successfully. Uh, the city collected one point two million from Sony in January on services including PlayStation Video Live events and purchases of music and video, according to Bloomberg. Also collected nearly 800000 from Eventbrite and 70000 from Fandango, the outlet said. Um, it's been dubbed the Netflix tax. It just kind of covers everything because it targets streaming video services in addition to gaming and other entertainment. Uh, Sony didn't reply to a request for comment from CBS News, a company which had headquartered in Tokyo had previously argued it didn't have a physical presence in Chicago so they could be taxed. While Chicago seems to be the first city to successfully tax streaming services, it probably won't be the last. Rhode Island's governor proposed a budget this year that includes new sales tax on digital videos, books, and music. Pennsylvania enacted a similar tax in 2016 and is set to start enforcing it this summer. Uh, Jones, I mean, it's Pennsylvania. Uh, You got, you know, Illinois, Rhode Island. Keep that shit in the north. Do not bring your taxing laws down south to Oklahoma or, you know, anywhere near us. Right. Um, They said cities and states are beginning to experience or experiment, sorry, with this. People are buying more and more services and less goods, so the sales tax base is getting reduced, and you end up trying to find ways to raise revenue from services. I, You know, I see that. I do. And I I understand that 
you know, people aren't going out and shopping in malls or strip malls, and you know, it's all done being done online. Uh, but it's just kind of the way you know it works. Don't you know punish us uh, for you know changing to the ways of the world. I mean, if anything, you know, it's the businesses moving all their stores online and pushing for that, that, you know, they can get taxed. I mean, don't make the prices rise on us just because we're, that's what we're working with. Uh, I mean, I, I see it a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like, come on, uh, when is enough enough? I, I have a conspiracy theory, Tom. I think that the last blockbuster remaining there in Alaska in family video, the the ones that are left, all those, you know, the video stores that do exist that are still left are probably in on this somehow. Like somebody has got a good attorney and or somebody's got a, uh, a good threat of some sorts, you know, some blackmail, some sorts to get in on this to make this happen. So, and that's why that they're still around. I still have no idea how family video still exists, but Blockbuster and Hollywood video and those guys don't. I think there's a back section to the family video that you might not be aware of. Oh, yes. I I, I am aware. I have not experimented <laughs> with it. but has to be it. Oh, it's got... I, I guess that would Is be it. family yeah. video in Lawrence? There is. I think he ought to go on, on an investigative journalism approach and find out what's in the back of your own family video. You know, when my mom... Hi, this is Tyler Jones live <laughs> from the family video in Lawrence, Kansas. <laughs> when my mom worked uh, like as a Channel business... Channel 2 works... When, when my mom worked as a business reporter... And, you know, family video was like still going, you know, it's still going strong right now. But even back then, I tried to get her to do a story, try to investigate why family video was still doing well and no one else was still around. I thought that Blockbuster and Hollywood Video had those back rooms as well. Are you trying to tell me they're the only ones of the video stores that did? You know, I don't know. I had a friend that worked at family video in Stillwater and she confirmed to me that that was the truth. How about that? that? There was a back room that wasn't advertised, wasn't talk about it. It's just kind of like everybody knew it was there. And the, the best part about that whole thing is it's called family video. Right. Right. You know, if you a new go down to Texas, you see a lot. Texas is, is full of these on the highway. You see the XXX videos yes. all over the side of the Missouri highway. Missouri as well. You see big semi-trucks parked out in front. So it's no secret there. Right. It's no secret. That, I mean, Texas does not try to hide their love for, for, uh, for boobs and <laughs> for boobs. But I mean, you know, they, you know, they're not hiding anything. For family, family video, on the other hand, is going under the guise of a, uh, for family when really you got old man Jenkins in the back finding his next election. <laughs> I mean, old man Jenkins. I mean, he's would, got. His... I mean, it would be great. He's got I, his I horses in the ought, back. I think you ought to do a, a Channel 2 work for you. Tyler Jones reporting live from Family Video. We're going to find out why they're so successful. He's got he's got his horses in the back. 
I, yeah, there's <laughs> there's probably a lot of horses in the back. Yeah, a few. Oh my god, a few. I I imagine so. There's there's no tax on that. I, mean, I wonder what the tax on that is for Family Video to have that. Aren't they usually connected? I know a lot of them are. Aren't they usually connected to like a Marco's Pizza too? I, I imagine that can't hurt. Right, or they're connected to some sort of food place that you can go. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how to. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna say it. I'm not even. Gonna, I, I don't know a euphemism that I could use that. I got it for you. I got it for you, Tom. Top. You get so your that. dinner and your dessert. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. See, I don't know. Like, if I work in a family video. And, you know, you see the same guy come in and, like, pick out a different selection. I mean, the they wouldn't pay me enough to, like, keep a straight face for someone coming in and slide big bat, you know, big butt seven onto the counter. <laughs> I, I couldn't I couldn't keep a straight face. That's Tom Fuller in itself. I, they couldn't pay me enough. Right. So they'd be like, Tom, you, you really need to be more professional about this. People do this all the time. And I would be like, you know what? I have never once uh, went and bought any explicit didn't you videos used to, or rented any. Didn't you used to make a few I mean, comments next, to next people when you did the magazines? Taxing, they're they're going to be taxing adult entertainment, you know, that you can get for free online. That'll be the next tax. I, I don't know what they're going to call that tax. If, if the Netflix tax is one, I, I could only imagine names they would come up with. Uh, for taxing adult entertainment. I'm sure you made a few comments to people when you uh, worked in the gas stations and sold magazines, right? Uh, you know, when I worked at the, the, the 14th Street gas station, the, the shady one, they used to sell Playboys, and people would buy them, and they would just all, I would just, we'd all I'd be like, ah, oh, so uh, reading that for the articles, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was 16, I was like, okay. Uh, you know, Hastings even had that, um, you know, and it was always funny to see, you know, you'd be looking for the Sports Illustrated or ESPN, you'd see someone down at the other end browsing through the Maxims and the, and the Playboys, I always got a good kick out of that. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, yeah, you know, you would look at it, but you're not going to be caught buying it. I know that, right. you know, it's that's not something. Right, right. I always wanted to send, like, buy a Playboy subscription and, and send it to Nolan's house. Oh, he might enjoy that too much. I mean, just so his mom could get it. I mean, I, I think now at this stage that oh, that'd he be great. wouldn't care. But back when we first met him, it would have been, uh, it would have been good. Oh, it would have been, it would have been. On that note, we got to get out of here, Tom. That's we got to run. Big thanks to Sully Ingles for joining us. And, Regular family uh, video. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good question. Good question. <laughs> Big thanks to Sully for joining us, and uh, make sure to subscribe to the show, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, and uh, leave us a five-star review. Also on social media, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, uh, Insta Thomas, uh, Jones underscore Report, Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. You can find us there, and we'll see you right back here next week. So long, everybody. The Jones Report. F*** yeah.